Well, thank you, Dr. Gill, and welcome to Epic, everybody. So glad that you're with us today. We're actually going to get to that resource that Dr. Gill was talking about in just a moment. But if you are brand new with us, we are ending a relationship series today called It's Complicated. And last week, we started this series by talking about uncomplicating dating relationships. So if you're dating, thinking about dating, know someone who's dating, and if you missed that message, I highly recommend... You go to our website, our YouTube channel, our Facebook page, our iTunes account, and you listen to that message and you look for one of those resources that we talked about in that message because it can help anybody who's trying to uncomplicate dating relationships. Now, today we're going to talk about the super fun subject of uncomplicating family relationships. And so I'm really curious this morning as we begin, how many of you are here with a family member? Okay, so raise your hand, hold up high. Okay, so a lot of folks all over the place here with a family member. If you are watching online, if you're with a family member, I encourage you to just type that in the comment section as well. Let us know you're watching with your family. I'm glad that you're here with a family member, at least a lot of us are, because there's a lot of great things that we're gonna learn together today. And oh, we have some fun in store for you. So I hope you're ready to do something that I think can be one of the most productive things you've done for your family in a very long time. Now, um, before we continue, is anybody else warm? Yeah, Yeah, you're a little bit warm? I like being warm. You like being warm? Great. Um, I'll invite you up on stage because it gets a little warmer up here sometimes. Um, but I know Sarah acknowledged that, you know, the air's not working. And as I came in today and I heard the air wasn't working and there were some other uh, technical things that were going on, I just thought this is so appropriate for today because we're talking about dealing with family issues. And so my first big question related to that, if you want to social distance a little bit more because you're hot, I get it. But my first big question related to your family is... How many of you would say you come from a dysfunctional family? All right, about half. I appreciate the response because some of you, your hands went up quick, like, yeah, badge of honor. You better believe it. We're dysfunctional. You love it. There's others of you that seemed a little timid, like, I'm not sure, like, mom and dad are sitting next to me. If I raise my hand, do I get in trouble later today? Like, I get it. Like, acknowledging that might cause some complications in your family. But here's the reality for all of us. We all come from dysfunctional families. All of us. There's not a family that you'll ever meet that's not dysfunctional in some way. So some family dysfunction is bigger than others, some is more extreme than others, but all of us come from dysfunctional families. And if you are a young adult or if you are a young parent and you're thinking, I'm not raising my kids in the same dysfunction that I was raised in, guess what? You'll create your own dysfunction. And one day a pastor will ask, how many of you come from a dysfunctional family? And your kids will raise their hands. So how do I know? My kids are raising their hands. So if, if you want to know about the dysfunction in my family, just ask one of my kids. They will gladly tell you. Um, or you don't even have to do that. Just come to church because I preach about my dysfunction on a regular basis. So we all have dysfunction in our families. And that can sound discouraging, but here's what's encouraging to me from that. The encouraging thing is look around. We're not alone. If you feel like you're alone... If you feel like, man, nobody else deals with the dysfunction like we do, guess what? You're wrong. There are a whole lot of people out there that deal with similar dysfunction. It also means there's hope for us. 
And we're going to find that hope in God's word today. Uh, We're going to look into the book that Dr. Gill was talking about in that intro video. But as I was preparing for this message, I started to dig through scripture. And I was looking for a biblical family that we could learn from. So I thought, well, how about we just go to the first family because God created family. He designed us to live in the context of a family. So I thought, well, we'll go to the first family. And then I remembered uh, that Adam and Eve, their son Cain, killed their son Abel, and that created a huge family dysfunction. So they're not a great resource for us to learn from. So then I went on to Abraham, the father of God's chosen people. And I thought, you know, he's got to be a good resource, him and his wife, Sarah. And then I remembered that they got impatient because God wasn't working fast enough. And so Abraham slept with Sarah's servant to have a child. That created a dysfunction that exists to this very day. When you see conflict in the Middle East, there's a really good chance a lot of that conflict goes back to the dysfunction that came out of Abraham and Sarah's family. So I moved on from that. I thought, well, what about um, their kids? You know, they had a son, Isaac. What about Isaac and his wife, Rebecca? And then I remembered that they like to play favorites with their children. So uh, uh, Isaac loved Esau. Rebecca loved Jacob. And that created a huge dysfunction in their family that lasted a long time. So I moved away from the Old Testament. I I thought, let's go into the New Testament. There's got to be a good family in the New Testament. I thought, well, why don't we go to Jesus' earthly family That would be a great family to learn from. And then I remembered that one time Joseph and Mary left Jesus behind at church for three days. Okay, so you know the movie and the book series Left Behind? That was Jesus left behind by his earthly parents. Like I wonder the dysfunction that that happened or caused in their family. And then I started thinking about Jesus' siblings. Bible tells us that Jesus had brothers and sisters. So they were half siblings. But think about what it must have been like to be one of Jesus' siblings. We all kind of know what it's like to, or we've seen it, or maybe we've experienced it in our own families where there's one sibling that seems to be the perfect one that gets away with everything. But imagine that being in Jesus' family. That was real. That was true. Imagine being James, you know, Jesus' brother. Imagine the conversation that he would have had with his mom and dad on a regular basis. I can imagine them coming and saying, now, James, be honest, buddy. Like, we know you broke the lamp. Jesus never would. Like, he, <laughs> like he can fix the lamp, but you probably broke the lamp. So just be honest about that. Can you imagine, like, being one of Jesus' siblings and the, the hatred you might have for Jesus and the dysfunction that might be there because he's perfect and you're not? So the uh, end result is I couldn't find any functional families from Scripture for us to learn from. So thanks for coming today. We're going to pray and uh, close. But before you leave, there's actually some stuff we can learn. Even if it's not a great example, we can learn from those in Scripture uh, because I think God has a lot to say in the Bible about how to uncomplicate our family relationships, how to deal with our dysfunction that is in our lives. And I want you to to think about this. When it comes to families, when it comes to our issues as adults, and I think a lot of us would acknowledge we have issues, but if you think about your issues, most likely your adulthood issues that are unresolved are simply unresolved childhood issues. 
that come from your family of origin. So if you've got something in your life that's been a real hard struggle for you to, to navigate, something hard for you to get over, there's a really good chance that issue goes all the way back to the family that you grew up in. And uh, that doesn't mean that you're stuck. That doesn't mean you can't break free from that. It just means there's a really good chance that those two things are tied and we need to understand some of that so that we can move forward. And whether you were brought up in a traditional family with a mom and a dad or a single parent home or a blended home or adopted or in a foster care situation or raised by your grandparents, we learn a whole lot from our families. So just think for a moment about some of the stuff that you learned from your family system. Some of those things are good. Some of those things are bad. And all of, all of those things have shaped us into who we are today. So some of us, uh, if we were to identify some of those things that we learned, we might say, you know what? What I learned growing up is that if I wasn't successful, then I was a failure. And if I didn't accomplish, if I didn't get top grades, if I didn't get the top job, if I didn't get a, a big promotion, then I was a failure. And, and I know folks that push and push and push and push in their lives and they wear themselves out and we have conversations and we explore where that stuff comes from and it comes from something they learned in their family when they were growing up. There are others of us that have learned there are certain subjects you should never talk about. You should never talk about them and um, you might not even need to think about them because your family is so strict on avoiding those subjects. There are other families that taught that, you know what, you should talk about everything. You should express every emotion you ever have and you should let everybody know what you think and what's on your mind. If we were to talk today and let everybody kind of share some of the stuff that we've learned from our families, we would hear all kinds of different things. We would hear good things. We would hear bad things. And all of those things have shaped us into who we are today. So family has a big influence on who we are and how we engage the world around us. So today, I want us to learn from an Old Testament family. This Old Testament family is led by King David. And if you're not familiar with David, David was the, the little shepherd boy who took on Goliath and defeated him in battle. And then God later chose him to be the second king of the nation of Israel. And uh, scripture actually says, David was a man after God's own heart. So we're going to learn from David today. And there's one primary thing that we're going to learn. And then under that one thing, we're going to learn seven things that can help us fulfill, help us do that one primary thing. So today I would recommend uh, that you take notes. Uh, that will help you uh, uh, capture and remember some of the stuff we're talking about. So if you do that with paper and pen, great. If you do that with your, your smartphone, great. If you do that by taking pictures, great. Uh, if you're not a note taker, just look around, watch who's taking notes. At the end of the service, take their notes. You instantly become a note taker. So half of you are laughing. It's a joke. Like, it's really okay to laugh. It's hot in here, okay? So relax. It's going to be fun today. Maybe not, but there's a lot we're going to learn. All right, so the parts of David's story that we're going to read today stretch across several chapters of the Old Testament. We'll be in 2 Samuel chapter 13 and chapter 14 primarily. Um, so I'm just going to tell you a summary of, of this specific part of David's story. Then we'll drill in to some specific verses that are very meaningful for us. But here's some other things you need to know about David. 
He had at least eight wives and we're not sure how many concubines. Anybody think that created a little family dysfunction? A lot of family dysfunction. And each of those women uh, bore him children. So he's got many children from many different women. His oldest is named Amnon. And Amnon fell in love with his half-sister. Her name was Tamar. So he fell in love with his half-sister, again, um, David's daughter, but from another mother. And if you're thinking, that's creepy, it wasn't as creepy back then. Okay, so Amnon falls in love with Tamar. And then 2 Samuel chapter 13 tells us of a really sad moment in David's family. So Amnon uh, was believing some of the lies that we talked about last week when we talked about the common lies that dating people believe. And Amnon just could not imagine life without Tamar. Uh, He did not understand that waiting is better than regretting. So Amnon tricked Tamar into coming into his bedroom. He expressed his desire for her. She said, whoa, whoa, time out. Let's not do this this way. This is not honorable. And in his passionate moment, he chose to rape her. He overpowered her and he raped her. Very, very sad. Part of that story. And scripture actually says that as much as he loved her before, after that moment, he hated her even more. So he kicked her out of his room and she lived as a, a disgraced woman um, in the, under the protection of another family member later. But I want you to, to watch how David responded to this. In 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 21, it says, when King David heard what had happened, he was very angry. Now, some translations actually add this next sentence. But he did not punish his son Amnon because he loved him for he was his firstborn. Can you imagine not punishing your son for doing something like that to your daughter? Some of us cannot imagine that, and yet some of us can. Some of us understand what it's like for another family member to do something to us or to do something to another family member that's not right and for no one in the family to address it, for no one to talk about it, no one to deal with it, for everybody to just sweep it under the rug and hope it all goes away so that we don't have to to deal with this uncomfortable issue. Some of you personally know what that's like. If you're in that spot, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that happened to you. That never should have happened to you. And... That dysfunctional response, if your family chose not to engage that stuff, not to step in and protect you in that moment, that shouldn't have happened either. There are way too many families that take on David's, I'm mad, I'm angry, but I'm not going to do anything about it strategy. That just leads to more family dysfunction. So because David wouldn't do anything about it, his son Absalom, who happened to be Tamar's brother, full brother, he decided to do something. It took him two years, but he pulled off a murder plan. Two years later, he actually murdered Amnon. 
his half-brother. So he murdered Amnon, created more dysfunction in the family, and he ran. He fled. He knew he was in trouble, so he took off, and he moved in with his grandfather for three years. And I don't know the relationship that Absalom had with his grandfather. I'm not sure. But grandparents can play an amazing role in our lives of helping us address our family dysfunction if they won't hide from their own dysfunction and if they'll be a resource to help us deal with our own dysfunction in our families. And I'm just curious this morning, are there any people here that have grandparents that are superstars that help deal with family issues? Anybody have a grandparent like that? You should thank your grandparents. If you're a grandparent, you should become one of those grandparents. Uh, I'm a new grandparent. Uh, my, my grandson, Maverick, don't you love that name? I love it for his parents. So my, my grandson, Maverick, he's just over two. And uh, man, I love that guy. And uh, my daughter is uh, pregnant, if you haven't heard, pregnant with our second grandchild. Excited that they get to do that, and we're past that. <laughs> but excited for them, excited for our entire family. I want to be that kind of grandparent. I want to be the kind of grandparent that helps my kids, helps my grandkids navigate the complexities of family life. Now, 2 Samuel 13, 39 says this about King David. It says, and King David now reconciled to Am Amnon's death, again, after three years. He grieved for three years. And after he was reconciled to his death, he longed to be reunited with his son Absalom. But what did David do with his desire to be reunited? Nothing. He didn't call. He didn't text. He didn't write. He didn't ask for Absalom to come over. He didn't go see Absalom himself. He did nothing. And so one of his own trusted men, a guy by the name of Joab, got involved. And he actually hired a woman to trick the king. He said, listen, let's craft a story to go trick the king into bringing Absalom back. So she goes in to see the king in his court, and she spins this crazy story. She says, listen, king, I have two sons, and they got into a fight. One son killed the other son, and now the rest of my family wants my only remaining son left to be murdered to be punished for, for what he's done and to be executed. So would you please protect my one remaining son? And so King David promises to do that. And then listen to what she says in 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 13. She says, why don't you do as much for the people of God as you have promised to do for me? You've convicted yourself in making this decision because you have refused to bring home your own banished son. I wonder how much she was paid to say that and stand in front of the most powerful king in the known world at that time, who could have had her executed in a moment. That must have been an awkward moment where you could hear a pin drop. And then she says what I think is one of the most powerful Old Testament statements about the heart of our God. And I want you to listen to this, especially if you're not a Christ follower. If you're not a Christ follower, if you haven't put your faith and trust in him yet, I want you to listen to what she says about God's heart for all of us. In verse 14, she says, all of us must die eventually. Our lives are like water spilled out on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. 
But God does not just sweep life away. Instead, he devises ways to bring us back when we've been separated from him. Again, I think that is one powerful verse that tells us about God's heart for us. So in those moments when we do things that hurt our relationship with God, he doesn't fold his arms and and, and say, well, sucks to be them. They screwed it up. Let them clean it up. I'm not going to go in and step into their mess and try to figure out how to bring them back. It's their fault. God doesn't do that. He constantly devises ways to bring us back when we've been separated from him. I wish David would have applied that in his own family at that time, but he didn't. And his inaction led to a civil war between David and Absalom, and Absalom paid for that with his life. He died in battle, and that impacted David in a really big way. Now, here's what I think we can learn from David's story, and this is you know, the negative thing that we're learning from him, but we can turn it into a positive thing. None of us should ignore dysfunction that's hurting our families. None of us should sweep that stuff under the rug. None of us should act like it doesn't exist. None of us, none of us should overlook those things. We should address those things. If we don't, we're going to end up with relational death, just like David experienced, and that relational death led to real death that David regretted for the rest of his life. And some of us know what that's like. Some of us know what it's like to wish we would have spoken with someone in our family about a dysfunction, and yet we didn't, and that person passed, and so we kind of carry around this regret that can impact us for a long time. So none of us should ignore dysfunction in our families. Here's what I think we should do. To address the dysfunction in our families, I think we should do this. I think we should talk about it. I think we should talk about it with our family. I think we should go have meaningful conversations. I don't mean gossip. I don't mean we should go bash everybody in our family. I mean, we should have meaningful conversations to do our best to address the dysfunction that's harming our relationships. Now, when I say that, I realize that most of us would rather get a root canal or have our fingernails pulled out one by one than to go talk to any family member about dysfunction. Some of us are afraid to do that. We're afraid of the response of our family or some of our other family members are afraid and we know they're, they're not ready to deal with any of the dysfunction. Sometimes we wonder, does anybody in our family recognize we have dysfunction or is it just me? So sometimes we're not sure. Who else kind of sees the dysfunction that's around us? But I don't know any other effective way to deal with this function than to talk about it and to learn from it and address it and choose not to ignore it. I can imagine uh, right now some of you are thinking several different thoughts. Some of you are thinking there's absolutely no way I'm doing that. No way, no thanks, I'm done. Can we just close in prayer? Like, I understand if you're in that spot. Others of you are thinking, I would love to, but I am scared to death to do that. I'm not sure I'm ready. I'm not sure my family's ready for this. And then there are others that know you need to. You're just not sure how. So let me talk to the last two groups that I just identified there. 
if you choose to do this, there are several things that could happen. Number one, your whole family could embrace what you have to say and choose to work together with you to resolve that family dysfunction. Or number two, some family members might embrace what you have to say while other family members blame you for disrupting the family and trying to deal with things that were kind of unspoken as a taboo subject. Let's not talk about that. Or no family member will want to hear what you have to say. Uh, most likely, option two and option three are going to be uh, what happens, and you're going to have to choose what you are willing to face. It won't be easy, but it could possibly be the most rewarding thing your family has ever experienced. And someone has to choose to do this. Someone has to be courageous enough to choose to deal with the family dysfunction. So for those of you who think, you know what, I, I just need to learn how to do this. I'm scared to death, but I'd like to learn. Here are the seven things that I recommend you do under the umbrella of the one thing. The one thing is we got to talk about it. Here are the seven things that I recommend. I'm going to go through this pretty quickly. So number one, I think we, we need to be prayed up. So we need to pray. We need to pray. We need to pray. And then we need to pray some more. Okay, so we need to pray about how to do this, when to do this, who to start with. We need to pray about our motives in doing this. We need to pray about our timing in doing this. We need to pray about the response of our family members in doing this. We just need to pray, pray, pray. So number one is pray. Number two, we need to get wise counsel. Often it's very helpful to get help from somebody outside of our family unit to address the issues inside of our family unit. And that may be breaking a taboo thing in your family because some family members teach you never talk to anybody outside of our family unit. Well, if you keep going down that path, you're gonna get more of what you've already gotten. So it's very beneficial. And God actually offers that as wisdom to us in scripture that we get help from someone outside of our family, someone who can provide us wisdom and guidance. And, and we're not talking about someone who's going to help bash our family. We're, we're talking about someone who can just look into our family and help us figure out a plan, pray with us, encourage us to do this in God-honoring ways. So number one, be prayed up. Number two, get wise counsel. Number three, talk to one family member first. So I don't recommend that you go to Sonny's today for lunch and say, you know what, lunch conversation, I want to talk about our family dysfunction. Some families can pull that off. Uh, some families actually have the kind of relationship where they can have those kind of conversations. But if we're talking about a lot of dysfunction, I recommend you start with one safe family member first. We're not talking about gossip. We're talking about going to a family member that's impacted by this dysfunction and learning how to walk through this process to get resolution and then move on to another family member where we can build some momentum in this conversation. Now, if there's just two of you in your family that are having problems, scripture's clear. If you've got something against somebody else, go directly to that person. If it involves the entire family, I recommend you go to one and then you go to another one. But you take your time as you're learning how to do this and you, you learn how to resolve these issues in God-honoring ways. So the fourth thing that we do while we're going to another family member to talk about this is to seek to understand before seeking to be understood. I'm sure you've heard that. But every family member has their own perspective of our family dysfunction. So we can't walk into a conversation and say, I'm sure you see things the way I see things. 
Maybe they don't. Maybe they don't recognize it. Maybe they have a totally different perspective. So we need to understand what their perspective is of our family dysfunction before we just assume that we're all on the same page and see things the same way. Then number five, we need to humbly offer forgiveness to those who hurt you and humbly ask forgiveness from those you hurt. The path to healing always involves forgiveness of some sort. Forgiveness is always in the mix. So we gotta learn how to give forgiveness. We gotta learn how to receive forgiveness. Number six, we should pour out grace for ourselves and for our family members. Understand that the process of cleaning up family dysfunction is not a one conversation thing. It often takes multiple conversations. It's kind of a messy process. It's a two steps forward, one step back. Sometimes it's three steps back and one step forward. And yet, if we stay in the dance, if we stay in that process, we can actually make momentum and move in a direction that we need to go. But we need grace for that. So we've got to pour out grace for ourselves. Are you always going to say things the right way and respond the right way? Absolutely not. When you don't, own it and make up for that. And just pour out grace for yourself and for your family members as well. And then number seven, commit to living a healthier, God-honoring life regardless of what happens. Even if no one else in your family wants to address the family dysfunction, guess what? You can still move forward. You can. You can choose to live a healthier life, regardless of what they say. If they say, listen, you're on your own. Like, we think you're the problem and we're not the problem and you feel stuck. You don't have to be stuck. You can be an example to them for how to address your own issues and move forward, even if they don't want to address their issues. So choose to live a God-honoring, healthier life, regardless of what the rest of your family Jesus. So those are the seven things. I know we've condensed those. There's a whole lot we could talk about in those. We've condensed those down to some primary steps that we can take. So just again, in summary, number one, be prayed up. Number two, get wise counsel. Number three, start with one family member first. Number four, seek to understand. Number five, humbly offer forgiveness and ask for forgiveness. Uh, Number six, pour out grace. Number seven, commit to living a healthier life no matter what happens. Now, for this to work, for these seven things to work, we have to address your butt for a minute, okay? So stay with me. Right now, some of you are thinking, I hear you, bald guy, but you don't know my family. Like, you don't know my dad. You don't know my mom. You don't know my siblings. You don't know my children. You don't know how they're going to handle this kind of conversation. You just don't know how this is going to play out in my family. It may work for somebody else, but it won't work for us. So again, I understand that there are some family units that are going to refuse to address their dysfunction. I understand that. But if we're going to break family cycles of dysfunction and experience something that God desires, someone has to be courageous enough to go first. And today I'm suggesting that person is you. Remember, God does not just sweep life away. He constantly devises ways to bring us back when we've been separated from him. And I think we should do the same type of thing with our families. Now, does that mean that we're going to be able to make it work? 
No, scripture tells us that we should do all that we can to live at peace with others. So there's a part that we do. There's a part that others have to do. And once we've done our part, we can live in peace, knowing we've done all that we can do. But someone has to try. We can't just sweep life away. We can't just continue to sweep our issues under the rug. We've got to address them. And I'm suggesting that you're the person to start that conversation. So for those of you who are open to that, interested in uh, actually learning more on how to do this, I encourage you to grab our spiritual growth challenge. Before you leave, just a one-page document we make available each week. It helps us dive deeper into what we're talking about on Sundays. Pick that up from our Connection Center. And on it, I've listed these seven things with a few other recommendations. I actually have three book recommendations there that I encourage you to get. I'm going to highlight one of them. So one book I think all of us should get and have in our library when it comes to learning how to do this is a book by Drs. Cloud and Townsend, and it's called How to Have That Difficult Conversation. Many of us wonder, like, how do I even start the conversation? Like, what words do I put together? How do I get a meeting on the calendar? How do I calmly manage my emotions as I'm trying to have this conversation? What do I do if they have rejections? How do I walk through this? This book can be a great resource. And so I recommend you get it. I actually recommend you read the other books as well uh, as you're learning how to do this. So grab our Spiritual Growth Challenge, get one of those book recommendations there, and then let's begin learning how to uncomplicate our family relationships. Again, none of us should ignore dysfunction that's impacting our relationships in ways that don't honor God. Now, if, if I've stepped on anything today that has uh, maybe brought up an old wound in your life. And if you would like to talk about that or pray about that, I encourage you to stop by our care table before you leave. We've got some amazing people there. Love to pray with you and help you any way that we can. I'll be in the lobby as well. And uh, if you want to talk, I would love to talk with you. I'd love to offer advice or just pray with you about the dysfunction that you're facing. But as we close today, I want to pray a prayer of blessing over all of us as we think about going out and addressing some of these family dysfunctions that we have and learning to uncomplicate our family relationships. This blessing comes from the Old Testament part of the Bible. And God told the priests of Israel, when they pray this blessing over the people, God himself will bless them. And I want you to understand where this blessing comes from, more specifically who this blessing comes from. It comes from our heavenly father. So if you're a Christ follower, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, uh, God is your heavenly father. God came up with the idea of family. Family is a big deal to God. You're one of his kids. He wants to bless us. He wants to bless our families. And families right now are under major attack in our world. So protecting Defending, fighting for our families, I think is something that brings great honor and glory to God. And it's something I think he will bless us as we work to do that. So I want you to hear this blessing. And then I'm gonna pray this blessing over you with an extended prayer. And then our worship team's gonna come and they're gonna sing this blessing over you as well. So here's the blessing found in Numbers chapter six, verse 24. 
It says, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. So if you would stand with me. I'm gonna pray this and then we're gonna sing together. So Lord, I thank you for what you've modeled in scripture for us, what you've talked about in scripture, that it is really possible for us to address our family dysfunction. Uh, Lord, you know we need help. As, Lord, you look through all the families in the Old Testament, the New Testament, up till today, Lord, you know we all have dysfunction. And we need your help to address that dysfunction. I'm grateful that you give us these resources that we see in Scripture, the wisdom that you provide in how to address this dysfunction. Lord, I'm grateful that we can be a part of your family. Even if we don't have any biological family members left, when we put our faith and trust in you, we are a part of your family. So I'm grateful for this blessing that you've given to us as a father gives a blessing to his children. So Lord, we pray this. We pray, Lord, that, that you would bless us as a church family. You would bless those who are watching online. Lord, that you would protect us. But especially as, as we think about stepping into some awkward family conversations to address some, some dysfunction that may be there, Lord, our hearts need to be protected. Our minds need to be protected. Our mouths need to be protected. So Lord, I pray for your protection as we go and do this. And Lord, may you smile on us. Lord, I know that any time we go to resolve conflict, you're smiling. You're proud of us because family is a big deal to you and resolving conflict is a big deal to you as well. And Lord, we pray for your grace as we, as we work on doing this. Lord, we're not gonna do it perfectly. We understand that. Maybe we'll have a bad reaction in a moment, but we can make that right. We can fix that. We can follow that up. So Lord, we need your grace for ourselves and for our families as we move forward in these conversations. Lord, may you show us your favor. May your hand of favor be on us. Lord, may you go before us and work in family members' hearts just like you're working in our hearts right now. And Lord, may you bless us with your peace. As you say in Philippians, that we can actually experience peace that passes all understanding. So as we go to resolve family conflict in a way to honor you and the family that we're a part of in our relationship with you, Lord, may you bless us in these ways. In Jesus' powerful name we pray this.